Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Talking Circles. I am Clayton Caldwell with Philip Matthew here tonight. As we're breaking down the weekend that was at Richmond International Raceway, NASCAR Cup Series was in action as well as the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They were in action at Richmond Raceway. We'll discuss that. Martin Tricks Jr. got his first career uh, short track victory in the Auto Owners Insurance Toyota for Jill Gibbs Racing, his first win for JTR as well. We'll, we'll discuss that race. Also, the Xfinity Series race. Uh, it was an interesting race. Cole Custer went to victory lane. And then also we'll talk about the new all-star format here in the Cup Series, what we like, what we don't like. What would we change about the all-star race? We'll get into the whole all-star race conversation as well. Plus, we'll get your phone calls. 917-889-8280 is the number here tonight on Talking Circles. That is the number to call. If you want to talk about anything here tonight, anything NASCAR-related, we're your guys to talk to tonight on Talking Circles. Uh, Philip, it was an interesting race there. The uh, Auto Owners 400, um, it ended interesting. You know, it was a, a three-car battle there at the end with Clint Boyer, Joe Logano, Martin Truex Jr. Uh, Truex was in the lead. You know, Boyer was trying to chase him down, and then Boyer's, I guess his tires kind of gave up. His car gave up there towards the end. Logano was able to get around Boyer and try his shot at Martin Truex Jr. Maybe if Logano had a couple more laps, he would have been able to get around Martin Truex Jr., but at the end of the day, it was Martin Truex Jr. standing in victory lane at Richmond Raceway for the auto, uh, the Toyota Owners 400 at Richmond. Um, how about Truex? I mean, this is a guy who a lot of people kind of knock on a little bit because he never had that short track win. Finally does it here at Richmond. What were your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, when you consider how the race went and started, I mean, it looked like it was going to be a Kyle Busch benefit in that uh, after the first the segment and then after that it kind of you know broke down into uh typical what we've seen all year which is a jgr versus penske type battle uh logano had been there but then you had shr cars there kevin harvick had put it on pole on friday and he got a decent car but you know logano and then brad to a lesser extent then you had Truex, of course, and then to a lesser extent, Denny Hamlin, who's generally, it's it's home for him. So he always seems to figure out a way to run decent at Richmond. But that's really where it was. And by the end of it, because of a long green flag run, pitch strategies uh, broke down to where it was, the 19, the 2, the 22, and the 14. Uh I mean, the end of the race in terms of what you usually would see at Richmond or in general, it was a much closer finish. But when you look into the analytics of the race compared to previous races there and just generally how much uh, what affected or what transpired at the end of the race, it wasn't as, you know, competitive. The finish makes it look good, and for Martin Jurex and people who love Martin Jurex, it's great mm-hmm. that he um, finally got his uh, got rid of his short track duck in the Cup Series, uh, winning for JGR for the first time is a big deal. They get to lock into the into the playoff and uh, be able to R and D a lot the rest of the year. I mean, they're still not, you know, where they were when they were the '78 team, but. I don't, it'll take a little time for that. So I guess now they have time to kind of work on some things. But I mean, I would say that, you know, Joey Logano, definitely, if he had a couple more laps, he probably would be able to pass him. 
Uh, he probably used a little discretion in terms of, you know, thinking about moving him because he knew about last last October and he might have probably played a safe game here to go and because he already has a win and he was willing to take that second place there to give himself a chance later on in the year if that's some time or if that opportunity presents itself again. But, I mean, honestly, I mean, I was there. It wasn't bad uh, in terms of those last, like, 30 or 40 laps. Once they had finally had, they had their final pit stops and kind of having to figure out who was where and what was going to really happen. Um, in terms of typical, in terms of what Richmond usually finishes up to be, there was not a bad finish. No, I agree. I think it was an, it was not a bad finish for sure. Yeah, the race was interesting in the middle of it where I, I didn't think the passing was, was all that uh, great. You know, the way the people moved through the field, impossible. I wasn't so sure. <laughs> it was impossible, right. And and a lot of that's to do with, I think, the cars just being so close. But, um yeah, you know, when you look at tonight, though, when you look at that night and, and how it, it played out, there was a lot of – a couple of drivers had really good runs that needed good runs. Uh, you mentioned uh, Kevin Harvick. Harvick finished uh, – led 30 laps, finished fourth. We just haven't seen that team fill up, sort of take off like they did a year ago. Um, last year, they were the top – I think a lot of people had them as the top team. There was a big three, and I feel like Harvick was the team that was on top of the big three for most of the season. Uh, he could win anywhere at any time, and right now, and I don't know if it's just to do with this new race car or not, um, Harvick, they're good. They're solid. They they do well every week, but they're not that team that I think everybody picks to win every week. Now, all of a sudden, they seem just to be a little bit behind to where they were a year ago, uh, and I, I guess I'm I'm just curious as what you think the reasoning is behind that. You know, still same crew chief, same driver, same pretty much everything there with Rodney Childers and, and Kevin Harvick. Uh, what are your thoughts on that four car? You know, a solid day, fourth, but I think if you ask Harvick, even all, this has just been a trend all year where you kind of look at it and say, we, we like where we're running, we're okay with it, but, you know, we're not where we were a year ago, that's for sure. Yeah, I don't, I mean, we've talked about it a lot on the show, and uh, I've kind of taken the line of considering where Harvick is in points, and considering what they've done over their history together, him and Rodney Childers, I'm not going to, you know, go and put up the APBs and saying, oh, man, we need to really be concerned. I mean, he's got four top fives and seven top tens out of nine races with two poles. And in terms of laps led, they're not, you know, out of – they're not in, out of the ballpark by any means. 8.7 average finish with an 8.1 average start, which might be the, which is like the second best in the field. It looks like Danny Hamlin. Uh, yeah, are they not? They're not winning races. That's the difference. And to me, it, it looks like some of the other years, like outside of his championship year in 14 and last year, where they were. They would they would generally lead a lot of races and then figure out a way to lose. In this case, they may lead a race, but they're not giving it away. They're just not there yet. It's they're they're right there underneath the Joe Gibbs and Penske cars. That's basically the case right now. Uh, you know, because Boyer ended up finishing third, and uh, and then when you consider. 
the 10 car had a rough night and so did the 41. But in general, when you look at the points, the SHR, the four SHR cars are all represented within the top 12. So mm-hmm. while they are not, and this, and Kevin Harvick, of course, being the lead dog there, are not at the same level as they were a year ago, I mean, that's a very hard um, level to maintain. Um, and I guess, you know, it, it, it isn't a bad thing that they're struggling right now. If you're telling me that it's playoff time and they're running like this and they have a chance that they could get knocked out, then it's one thing. Uh, it may be a different mode. They might be in a different mindset. I, I mean, it it could be any number of things when it comes to the four team. Uh, they because the reality is Kevin Harvick is calling his own shots, and so is Rodney Childers. They run the show there, and Tony's going to give them whatever, and Gene are going to give them whatever they need. And if they're trying to figure out different things or going about things a little differently. I mean, who's to say? They they are consistently always there, and they've been that way ever since 2014. Um, and I I don't I'm not concerned. I figure in a couple next week when they go to Talladega, they'll have a pretty fast race car, and they could go out there and do what they did last October, and all of a sudden they go to victory lane instead of Almirola, and then it's like, oh well, they dominated Talladega. It's like, oh, but it's Talladega, but still, it's a it's a playoff race they go and win, all of a sudden we change our view about Kevin Harvick. It's to me, Kevin, you don't, you can't sleep on them. You really can't sleep on them in general. It's been that way for basically the better part of a decade now, because you look at how RCR was when he was there and you look at RCR now, he was basically carrying the organization and ever since he's came to SHR, he's taken the next step to becoming that elite-type driver that he always wished he was. And basically, Tony said, I was going to help you become. And, uh, you know, I mean, they, I'll never – it doesn't matter what they do. They finish top five. He'll top five you to death. At the end of the day, it, it, the way the, the points work these days, the way this series is, let him top five you to death and then figure it out in the cha- in the playoffs. And and he starts winning in the playoffs. Nobody's going to care that he didn't win anything in the regular season, really. That's a fair point. And and you know maybe I and you're right. Maybe I'm looking at it too from too much of a of an old school perspective where, you know, um, every race means so much. You know, I'm used to you know when we grew up in the '90s and early 2000s when the point system was a lot different. Uh, every yeah. race meant a, a ton. So when you looked at this, you were kind of like, well, you know, they're good, but they're not great yet. So. They do have time to get it ready for the playoffs. There's no doubt about that, and I, and I think we'll see that team pick it up. But uh, just a little interesting stuff there going on with that four car. When you go through the rest yeah. of the top ten, uh, a couple of guys who had some decent runs, Austin Dillon in sixth. Then you had Brad Keselowski, Kyle Busch, who you mentioned had a pit road issue, could never really get his track position back. And I feel like uh, that, was, that was a big part of this race here was track position. When you were up front, and we saw it with the Stuart Haas cars that you mentioned, Suarez and, and Eric Amarola, who – they were both in the top 10 before they had pit road issues. Suarez finished 18th. Amarola, 23rd. Kyle Busch, another issue here. Led 101 laps early, had a pit road issue, was never really able to work his way up to the top front, top uh, top five again. He finished 8th. Ryan Newman, a decent day in 9th. And Paul Menard, back-to-back top 10 finishes for him in the Wood Brothers Racing Ford. So uh, Menard, which had was starting this year off a little bit sluggish there on that 21 car, now puts himself in the top 16 
Uh, what did you think about the top ten there? There's a couple of guys in there with Newman, Menard, and, and Dylan who needed solid days and really had them. Yeah, I mean, I think I'm, I don't know if I'm mistaken in terms of, well, yeah, Dylan didn't get sent to the back. I think he was one of the beneficiaries of uh, of the, you know, the people that got sent to the back because of the uh, the post-qualifying inspection, inspection yeah. or yeah, the pre-qualify or pre-race inspection. He, I mean, definitely needed a good run and uh, got a good run out of it. Uh, for for Dylan in general and that team, it, it looks like it looks like they're they're turning the corner now, slowly but surely they're starting to turn the corner. And that that reunion with Danny Stockman, it's in certain places, it's starting to show, you know, the same Absolutely. kind of deal that they had together when they were winning trucks and Xfinity and all that, you know, they won truck races and they didn't win a whole lot of races in Xfinity, but they won a championship together. And so for them, I think it's a great deal for them. And I would also reference, we'll probably reference him in a little bit, but he didn't get as good of a run as we thought he probably could have, but his brother's starting to turn a corner too. So, I mean, it, it may be for the RCR effort, it's starting to turn uh, and for mm-hmm. Newman two straight top or being, being competitive up there, top tens at the short tracks is a good sign for uh, the Roush outfit. Uh, they, you know, new team, new crew chief, all that stuff. He was on race hub, I think a couple of days ago, or I was on NBC, one of those and talking about it and the changes and all that. And him, <laughs> You know, for what he is and what he has been for a lot, a lot of his career, getting a top 10 finish with a team that couldn't even sniff a top 15 or top 20 for the last few years isn't a bad thing. And Paul Menard getting a second straight top 10 with that 21 car, uh, that's a good sign. A uh, good sign for him, good sign for Irwin. Uh, getting uh, Joey Meyer as his, uh, as his spotter also is, I think, an, uh, is an underrated deal for Paul Menard. I think having a veteran voice, somebody who who has been up there, who's been at the top and knows what it's like to be up top uh, is going to help Paul Menard, especially when they go to Talladega, especially when they go to some of these other races that he's mm-hmm. more comfortable with. Uh, but yeah, for the Wood Brothers to be able to compete and with these other, with their other Penske, you know, teammates, I think is a good sign for them. Yeah, you bring up a good point about uh, Menard real quick. Before I don't want to get too far off topic and too far ahead of ourselves, but when he goes to a play track, he in particular drives me nuts because he can't stay in the line for for whatever reason. He just decides, you know, it's like he's almost impatient and dying to go. He just changes the line. So maybe Meyer, who's had a lot of experience with with Brad Keselowski winning some races there in those restricted plate races, will say, hey, you know what? Um, be a little bit more patient here because I think that hurts him at the end of the day. I'm not sure he, uh, you know, means to do it. It's just, that's just, just his style. So maybe it'll change up a little bit as we get to Talladega. Uh, 917-889-8280. Yeah. A couple of other guys in the top 10 that, and you talked about Ryan Newman, you know, Newman, you know, he's th- that sixteenth team is really not where they need to be to win races. Um, but when you consider where they were a year ago, last year with Trevor Bain, after Richmond, Trevor Bain was 26th in points. Right now, Ryan Newman sits 15th, 14th in a tie with Austin Dillon, but we're going to give him 15th. So it just shows you a 
11 po- uh, position difference in points for that six car uh, after Richmond. And I remember this time last year, we were talking about Bain and saying, what's going on with that team? And I know he's got a new crew chief. Matt Pusher is not the crew chief there this year as well. So that's got something to do with it as well. But uh, certainly that six car is head and above, for whatever reason, head above head and shoulders above where they were a year ago. I want to talk about Kozlowski a little bit. You know, I uh, had a pretty good car. Um, one of his better race checks had a pretty good car. Led 31 laps. What happened there towards the end of that race with Brad? I mean, uh, it just seemed like the handling on that two car went, a little, went away at the end. Yeah, I mean, from my perspective, I he was no better than about a fifth-place car all night. He would have great restarts, and then he'd make a spot, maybe two spots, and then just be stuck. And then he got that one run during that long green flag run, and – or he, I mean, I guess it was early on a green flag run. He got good track position off a of pit stop, got that lead off of MTJ, and he led for about 30 laps. But then Martin came back, passed him, and from that point on, he really wasn't – he didn't really have enough. He tried to stay out, hoping a caution would come out to try to, you know, mess with the – just flip the field. Uh, didn't work out, lost a lot of time, and he really never gained that time back. He ended up <laughs> – basically battling with Kyle Busch at the end of that race. Uh, His car, I don't think, was good for more than about 30 laps anyway. So that's really what happened there. Uh, The fact that he led those laps was cool uh, to see in person, obviously, but his car wasn't there. It wasn't at the same level as Logano's was or or Martin's. I mean, that's where you needed to really be those two cars were basically the class with the 18 car Mm -hmm. uh, on Saturday night. So, I mean, I'll take it. It's whatever. It's a top 10 finish. I mean, they've had some rough runs. So getting some points is always good. Uh, But, you know, it's a good R and D night for, for them going into the playoff run and having this race. And it'd probably be generally similar Temperatures may be a little bit chillier uh, in September when they run, uh, and it'll be a playoff race. So take, yeah. uh, take get the takeaways from that and, and just move on. Move on to one of their better racetracks in Talladega. And that's something to keep in mind here as we review this race is that, you know, this is going to be a playoff race in, in September. So, um, you know, not that everything translates over and a lot of things can change as far as how teams prepare their race cars and all that kind of stuff, and they, they I'm sure – the teams that struggled learned a lot, and the teams that uh, ran good learned a lot as well. So uh, it's it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be a barometer from how they're going to run in September, but, you know, you never know. It, it certainly was an important race for that reason, uh, a little bit more important race than a reg- regular regular season race because we're going to see this uh, this t- similar type of race, this type of racetrack and similar conditions here in September for the playoffs. Uh, as we go 11 through 20, um, Kurt Busch was 11th, then it was Jimmy Johnson 12th, William Byron 13th, Eric Jones 14th, and Chase Elliott 15th Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Alex Bowman Daniel Suarez, Daniel Hemrick Ryan Priest round out your top 20 to, uh, on Saturday night at Richmond Raceway. A uh, couple of things that stand out there in 11 through 20th all four Hendrick Motorsports cars Philip, were there uh, Jimmy Johnson 12th, William Byron 13th Chase Elliott 15th, and Alex Bowman 17th um, you know Again, this is a playoff race, and, and we, that's why we kind of wanted to bring up the fact that it's going to be very important. 
Um, we haven't seen Hendrick Motorsports really go out and dominate a race this year. We haven't seen him really go out and dominate a race in a long time. Uh, another race where they were kind of eh all day. Um, what were your thoughts on, on Hendrick Motorsports there at Richmond? I mean, just a, just another blah day for them. Yeah, it's there's there's reasons to be concerned. I mean, the fact that Jimmy Johnson came from tailback, as Rusty Wallace always loves to say, and get to twelfth, and he was in the top ten for a lot of for a good for a portion of the race, and then pitch uh, pitch strategy and stuff kind of had him just outside. Uh, Chase Elliott, I think he probably had a little better car than that, but he really couldn't make anything happen. And then, I mean, Bowman and, and uh, what do you call them, William Byron, they're, they're a tier lower um, right now in terms of where they're at compared to, I mean, I, I think the 24 and the 48 are kind of like a, a, a week by week. You can flip a coin which one's going to run better. The nine is the standout of the organization generally uh, at this point. I mean, the fact that Byron got a 13th place finish, they're right on top of each other. So, so in in that sense, it, it's all the, the Hendrick Motorsports team. There's a lot of work to do. Uh, I think next week, when they probably qualify a couple of their cars up front, then they'll be all happy and everyone's going to be all losing their minds. But will it translate into a race? Uh, generally speaking, most of the year it hasn't translated to a race outside of Chase trying to catch Brad at Martinsville when Brad led virtually the entire deal anyway. Um, I mean, Chevy as a whole is not exactly setting the world on fire. They only had one Chevy in the top 10. In the second 10, then you have 11 through 13 there. You had four, five, six, seven out of the next 10 after that. So, I mean, the the reality is it's still a work in progress for the GM car, for GM and for Chevy. Uh, there's a, there's They need to really look at pinpointing certain areas of the car or pinpointing certain things or places they really want to be able to run well at uh, so that they don't basically get, you know, get knocked off you know, by the first round, you know, kind of deal or that they actually have more than a hand, a couple of representatives in, in the, in the playoff. Cause right now, as, as it stands, there's four Chevys in, in represent represented in, in the playoff. And then, I mean, all four Gibbs, three of the four Gibbs cars. And then, so that's the only Toyota's. So there's four Chevys and three Toyotas and the rest of them are Fords. So, I mean, it's all relative. I mean, it it kind of shows that they really didn't make the progress they needed to make uh, from year to year. And they probably need to start looking at some greater, you know, start analyzing things and figure out what has to be done or who has to do what because it's not really great. I'm not used to being somebody who's not exactly – for years, I've been used to Chevy dominating, so it's weird to see Chevy be this far off and not yeah. really be a factor. And there's been discussions that on other pages, and it's like, oh, why aren't the Chevy teams kind of working together? And it's like it might 
need to be that time where the two guys that are pretty stubborn and bullheaded and Hendrick and, and Childers have to say, well, we need to figure out something because if we're going to be running for six every week, is that the best we're going to do? And an occasional top five, possibly a win, it might need to go that far, you know, to really right. make things change. Hey, all you need to know about Chevy is so far this year, Kurt Busch is the highest Chevrolet driver in points, and he's seventh. I mean, that's shocking. And I think it's shocking just from the fact that you look at it and you say, well, um, I would have never guess Kurt Busch would be the highest Chevrolet driver all year. And I, seventh is just not where you expect him to run. I mean, let's be honest. And I, I don't know if you agree with this, but I think the best Chevrolet driver on Sunday was Chris Busher until they had a problem there. It, it seemed like the handling of that, of that 37 car went away. He ended up finishing in the 22nd position. But for the majority of that race, I mean, he finished stage one up there in eighth and stage two in ninth. For, for a good part of that race, Chris Busher was probably the fastest, best Chevrolet car all race yeah. long. And so when you look at it from that standpoint, you're like, well, you know, him or Kurt Busch, really. And, and that's, that's, I mean, Chris Busch has done a hell of a job this year. That team's done a great job. I love Trent Owens. I think he's a great crew chief. But, again, that's not a team you would sit there and think about as a team that would go up there and compete for wins. Um, and, you know, it's just that's alarming. And you're right about the Chevrolet teams. It's time for them to work together. I think all hands are on the table. I mean, it looked like there might have been a little bit of progress a couple of weeks ago, but this weekend at Richmond, it was a, I think it was a step back when you look at what every, everybody did. I mean, it, it just was not what they expected. Uh, Hendrick seems to be off, and, and I, I don't know if they got to change this whole Chevrolet car altogether with the Camaro. I'm not sure what they have to do right now, but, man, oh, man, it's, it's just it's not very good. That, let's just be honest. It's been a real tough year for the Chevrolet camp for the bow ties over there. Um, it, and we start to see some good things, like you said, out of Dale, Austin Dillon, and maybe they can – bring some stuff over there to the other Chevrolet teams because Tyrant has run okay at times this year as well. Hemrick had a, had a, finally had a night where not everything completely fell apart on that eight car. He finished 19th. Not a, not a great day, but not a terrible day like we've seen from him the last couple of weeks. Um, so, you know, maybe RCR is going to be the lead Chevrolet team, and maybe there's a problem at Hendrick. Um, and, and that's the thing I, I think we have to, you have to start questioning yourself is, you know, if this doesn't get any better for Hendrick Motorsports, is there internal changes they have to make? I mean, when they've made crew chief, a lot of crew chief changes. You know, William Byron uh, has Chad Knauss there. You know, they got rid of uh, Darian Grubb. You know, uh, Jimmy Johnson has a new crew chief. Gustafson, I think, strong and solid there. And then you got Greg Ives, who I think Junior Nation wasn't too thrilled about when he first when he came on. Maybe there needs to be some internal changes there at Hendrick Motorsports. I think those questions, if they don't pick it up here by the time we get – you know, uh, and to, to Kansas and to Charlotte for the 600, um, if they're not really starting to get the momentum in the right way, I think that's going to be some of the questions that are going to be asked because uh, they cannot keep running like this. It's been almost two years now where Hendrick Motorsports has just been way off. So uh, I guess we'll see. You know, it's just something to keep an eye on as the rest of the year goes. Another driver to keep an eye on and, and another driver to, to sort of look at and a driver that is in a Chevrolet camp. And, and again, it's part, it's part of the reason why Chevrolet is where they are. I mean, Philip, we had this discussion off air about, about Kyle Larson, but let me ask you this. If I told you after nine races in the year in January, after nine races in the year, that Kyle Larson would be 19th in points behind wait, wait for it. Austin Dillon, Ryan Newman, Paul Menard, Eric Jones, Ricky Stenhouse, Jr. Daniel Suarez. I mean, if I told you that 
you would have laughed in my face and said, you don't know what the heck you're talking about. Well, here he is, nine races after the year, in a, in a, in a break as we get ready for the Easter holiday, and Larson's 19th in points. Another disastrous day at Richmond. He was not – listen, you could say what you want. And the accident – to me, that accident – and I love Kyle Larson. I think he's an extremely, extremely talented race car driver. You know what that accident was a result of? That accident was a result of a driver who hasn't had a great year and was pressing the limits because he knew he did not have a good race car that night and said, you know what, I'm going to try and push these holes, do everything. He was overdriving, Philip. I think that's part of the yeah. reason why he got involved in that wreck. And when you have somebody that, with the – I mean, there's no doubt in anybody's mind he's got the raw talent to, to win a lot of races, to, to compete for championships in this sport, pushing that hard – because he doesn't have enough confidence in his race car, to me, that's alarming. Uh, and, and again, you know, we, I talked about external, internal changes there at Hendrick Motorsports. Maybe there needs to be internal changes at that 42 car because Kurt Busch has come out and run really, really well, and now Kyle Larson is 19th. I can't, I, I can't believe it. He's 19th in points after nine races. Do you think there's any way – I guess my question is two parts. Do you think there's any way they can rebound and get themselves into the playoffs – and what do you think needs to happen over there at that 42 car? Do I think they can rebound? Yes. Um, why? Because I don't see, based on the talent of Kyle Larson, that he should be outside of the top 16 uh, drivers in in the points. Or in, in right now, he isn't. Uh, he himself is one of the best 16, for sure. I mean, there aren't... 30, there's only 30-something cars that show up to the racetrack on a given basis. But the reality is in terms of talent, raw talent, he's in the top five. And then all the people are like, oh, Carl Larson's overrated and this and that and all that. I'm like, here's the thing. You want to talk crap about Kyle Larson, go and watch him drive a 410 sprint car. Um, go and watch videos of him on on YouTube and in general about all the different vehicles he's driven and the kind of um, skills he has shown. See the moves that he has made when he won uh, races in previous years, specifically 2017. Uh, there's a fundamental problem at Ganassi, and the fact of the matter is Ganassi racing, as it's currently constituted, can basically only support one good race car. And when you have a guy in Kurt Busch who's running with house money and doesn't have anything to worry about because he just really doesn't give a crap, and for the first time in his career, he's like, ah, who cares? Whatever. If they tell me I'm not going to have a job next year, I could go and drive a pro stock car, or I can go and watch my beautiful wife go and play polo, or I can go and drive an Indy car, or I can do whatever. You know, he doesn't, he's not worried. And so he's running with house money. The one team's basically been, been on a lower tier because of who was driving the car before. And Kurt Busch is way better no offense to all the McMurray fans that listen, but the fact of the matter is Kurt Busch is a way better race car driver than Jamie McMurray ever has been. So the, you, you put him in that car with house money, and he's running about as good as they're supposed to be running. And that's basically what Kyle Larson was doing last year. And I said this to yeah. you off air, that I'm like, the I really believe that Kurt Busch being there and making the one car look good has finally exposed all the issues that exist within the 42 team and the dysfunction that exists in the 42 team. They've had a really bad pit crew for a really long time. They have not fixed. 
Chad Johnston, God love him, is not that great of a crew chief. Um, he never really has ever been that great of a crew chief. Uh, he was basically awful for the majority of the time he was with Tony. They'll say, well, you know, he injured, he got into, a, he got a leg injury, injured his leg in a sprint car, and then the whole Ward deal happened. But he wasn't good there. He wasn't great there. He wasn't great with Martin Truex when they were at MWR's stupid circus sideshow. Uh, then now he's with Larson. They weren't doing a whole heck of a lot. And then 16, they finally turned a corner. Then 17, they should have basically, they were there. They probably could have and should have won a championship. Ever since then, you know, they blamed the Chevy. Everyone blamed the Chevy last year. And it's still possible that it, that the Chevy is part of the problem. But it's like after that, you have to start figuring out other ways to make a run happen or you have to be able to make something happen. And Johnston is a good car builder that's been proven across all those teams because there's been these other teams within their organization that have been able to perform. Uh, but he himself, as a, as a person who's able to dictate races and strategize and stuff, is not good. Um, yeah. He really hasn't ever been. And that's one thing. They had Mike Shiplett in, in-house until basically January. Uh, when the DC solar deal went, went to, went to heck. And frankly, they had Mike Shiplett for the last couple of years or however many years with, with that 42 team. And the best that Kyle Larson has run in, in since when he was in that car in the Xfinity series, he'd be pretty dominant. And it was, he, he won, and he made it. He won four, easy. he won, he won six, uh, four or six races last year in that car. Yeah. So, yeah, he was yeah. tremendous. And so, I mean, the fact of the matter is they let the best crew chief in the whole organization go out the door without doing anything. And to me, that's a, a big that's a big oversight. But then it, it goes into a whole different discussion about Chip Ganassi's focus and what he cares about. It also goes into the fact that Kyle Larson basically said, oh, I'll be loyal. And when he had Hendrick Motorsports opportunities – a couple of years ago and possibly Stuart Haas opportunities and a couple other things. Um, they need to change a crew chief. I, I think it would be a good move. Um, and it's early enough in the season where if they made that move, they could figure it out and probably get it right by the summer. Uh, they definitely need to change the pit crew. I mean, they already started making changes. They fired a couple people. They moved people off the one car. The one car ended up, you know, um, they they swapped with the one car. The one car ended up getting an eleventh uh, place finish, which is about where they've been running anyway. I mean, when you consider what the one's been doing, they they fit well. Actually, they're averaging about a ninth place finish, which is pretty crazy, considering what they. I mean, the the qualifying isn't good there, but they they run very well. So then he went and tried to shoot the moon on Daniel Hemrick and it didn't work, or Hembrick moved up on him. I didn't see the replay or whatever. All I know is the aftermath of his tires are smoking, or his left rear was smoking. Then he goes and cuts the left rear tire down, goes down to pit. They don't bother to pull the fender out. Next thing you know, even though he was fast enough to stay one lap down, cuts the tire, hits the fence, destroys the car, rage quits, game over. Um, yeah, it's not a very healthy situation over there. And there has to be a lot of soul searching uh, within that organization, that 42 crew, 
Um, if they really want to bring it back, I believe just based on the sheer talent everybody around, they should be able to. But they need to start turning it around. And Talladega isn't exactly the easiest place for Kyle Larson to turn around. He's he's a um, noted hater of restrictor plate racing. And whatever they tapered spacer racing, whatever you want to call it, they're going to have a Talladega. I don't know what it's going to be. It's going to be goofy. And uh, maybe <laughs> this, this new rules package that they have um, next week might be the smoking gun that finally – helps Kyle Larson finally get through the restrictor play race. But uh, yeah, yeah. we will see we'll what see. happens on that. Well, and Larson's got a lot of good racetracks coming up. Uh, he's got, you know, after Talladega, he's got Dover, which is a good race. But Kansas is a great racetrack for him. Charlotte, you know, that 42 seems to really perform well on a mile and a half tracks. Pocono, Michigan, he's won there three times. You know, Sonoma, and then he's got Chicagoland, Kentucky. So a lot of good tracks coming up for him. Uh, where I'd like to see Larson grow as a driver personally is on the short tracks. You know, he's done well at Richmond, but and he's done well at Bristol, but Martinsville's a, a struggle for him. Uh, I think New Hampshire's a struggle for him. Uh, Richmond is, is up and down. You know, when he's got the right car, he's good there. But um, I'd like to see him tr- just a little bit – be a little bit more consistent where he can put it all together on every racetrack. So um, we'll see if, if he's able to do that. But, you know, then I'm going to call the show, guys. It's 917-889-8280. Uh, that's the number to call the show. Quentin in on, bud. is joining the show tonight. Uh, how you doing, Quentin? What do you want to talk about tonight? I'm with Speedway Anywhere. I'm also on Blog Talk Radio, and, uh, you know, I do my show religiously. And uh, I wanted to mention uh, along the uh, Kyle Larson thing that, uh, you know, Back in, oh, I'm going to say roughly 2013 and on, I've always said that Chase Elliott and Kyle are going to be the face of NASCAR, you know, especially with all the drivers that have retired and whatnot, too. So I'm, I'm right on your guys' side. He's he's having a slump, but uh, he'll be back up. Um, so no worries on that end. Um, yeah, it's he, just it's just – I guess it's just a question of when. I mean, again, we all know Larson's got the ability to to win races and be great, but um, you know, it last year they struggled. I mean, they didn't come close to winning the race other than one race at Kansas where they had, you know, that that epic finish with Kyle Busch. That was the only time he ever even came close to victory last year. And then this year he hasn't come close at all. So, um, it's just been almost 2 years now where you're starting to see, you know, a year in, in nine races where you see Larson at a point where you kind of sitting there going, okay, this is one of, if not the most talented driver in this sport, and he's 19th in points right now after nine races. You know, nine races doesn't seem like a huge chunk, but that's a quarter of our season. You know, we went 36 races, uh, and nine is, nine races is a quarter of our season. So a quarter of our season, he's just 19th in points. What's going to happen with the next nine? He's got to be better than where he is if he wants to make these playoffs. And if that 42 team doesn't make the playoffs, that's a big, big shock. And Chevy is hurting right now. I mean, it, no getting around that. Um, maybe maybe Kyle Larson will move on at some point here, too, and find some magic. Well, that's a great point, and I wanted to bring that up tonight. And, uh, and I, F- Philip talked about it on, talk, on our Twitter page a little bit, uh, mentioned us on Twitter, and I want to get uh, – I guess I get tw- Philip's opinion on this before mine, but, you know, Larson – is a guy who's got a good ride. I mean, I think the 42 car is a winnable race car, but 
The question is, if, if he were to move on, like people have mentioned that before, well, he's better than Ganassi. You know, Ganassi's not nearly as good as they should be. They're holding Kyle Larson back. I've heard that from all over the place. Um, I guess what my question is, where do you think he could move? I mean, obviously you got Hendrick Motorsports is a good team, but, you know, Chase Elliott's not going anywhere. You know, until Jimmy retires, he's not going anywhere. I don't think William Byron's going anywhere, and Bowman's got a contract until next year. Uh, Gibbs, you know, they already got a log jam over there with, with Christopher Bell. They don't know what they're going to do there. Um, so, you know, Penske, they have a three-car operation, three drivers who aren't going anywhere because Lowski's a hell of a race car driver. Logano's the defending champion. I think we all agree Blaney's going to be a real good uh, driver when he puts it all together. And then you got Menard, who you say, well, Paul Menard's not the most competitive driver out there, but he helps fund that race team. So he's not going anywhere either. Um, no, Daddy's and, got the money. Right. And so then when you look at Stuart Haas Racing, you're like, well, that's a good team. Okay. Boyer does good enough. Uh, Harvick, until he retires, that ride's not going anywhere. Um, you know, Suarez just got there, and he's doing pretty good this year. And Amarola does fine. So, and I know you're going to sit there and say, well, Amarola could do a hell, heck of a lot better than Larson. But he also brings Smithfield, which is a huge get for that organization. So I guess my question is, there's not really a whole lot of moves for Kyle Larson to do. I mean, I know he's one of the talent, one most talented drivers out there, but you know, we talked about 36 charters out the, out there and there's just not a whole lot of seats right now for him to move. So maybe the best option for him is Philip to stay at the 42 car. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, you can, I, I think that that's what it in one way that might be part of the reason why he stayed. Um, I think another reason was at that point when he did stay, the sponsorship situation was a lot better for that organization. And in terms that it, the team wasn't as, it wasn't as far behind and they were a lot more competitive in terms of where he stands now. I mean, who knows? I, I mean, at the end of the day, he, he hitched his wagon to Ganassi a couple of years ago when he had opportunities when there was other organizations that were there. And he hitched his wagon to Ganassi out of loyalty. <laughs> and that's fine. And, and that's uh, perfectly, it's, uh, it's admirable. Um, but at the same time, if Kyle Larson really is serious about being a NASCAR champion, he has to look. And as much as there might be options and there might be people in rides and there might be contracts, we've seen it. Years past, people had contracts going into the further following year, and they mysteriously got got uh, paid off and moved around. I I remember 2005 when uh, Kurt Busch uh, left uh, uh, Roush and all of a sudden randomly ended up taking over for Rusty Wallace, and then mm-hmm. Jamie McMurray left Ganassi and randomly was able to go and jump into what became the 26 car after it was a 97. Uh, you know, they, these things kind of organically seem to get taken care of on the backside. And, you know, Boyer was on the download and uh, he was out off his rocker as he always is. And he's like, Oh, I'm having the most fun I've had in my career. But at the end of the day, how much money is he really bringing to the organization? And if you're going to have somebody who really isn't bringing any money to the organization, why don't you have somebody who's half his age and has more potential to actually win championships? That's that's well, one thing. Because at the end of the day, Haas is basically funding the 41 and the 14 mm-hmm. for a full mm-hmm. season. 
because, now, yeah. you know, Suarez isn't bringing as much money as he had at Gibbs uh, either. I think that's contractual, and, though, because I think that Aris is tied in with Gibbs for another year, and they probably wouldn't let him be on a 41 for most of the year. So I think that's probably contractual until next year when they can get on that 41 car and actually sponsor that thing. Which is entirely possible, which is entirely possible. And so, I mean, uh, that's one option to me. And I also think that the 88, they, I mean, they always sack, they have a sacrificial lamb at Hendrick Motorsports. They always really have, no matter, mm-hmm. once they became a three-car outfit, it started really more and more obviously. Um, but now the 88 is basically the sacrificial lamb. So Alex Bowman is basically what he is. He's a 16th place driver. Would would bring oh. a different driver in there, make a difference. I've heard from a friend of mine who's a diehard 88. You know, he was there a junior, and, and he's followed Bowman. They don't have a good relationship, him and Greg Ives, supposedly, and this has been going on. So the fact that Hendrick didn't go and take care of this when he was doing all these crew chief swaps seems to be questionable. Uh, mm. The fact that, you know, when I think Mendering probably would have been a better move for, you know, like Alex Bowman, and then you go and put Ives, who theoretically was good. Um, I mean, at the end of the day, when we look at Craig Ives, I think literally his one good year was when he was a chase and won the Xfinity title. And then since then, he's steadily not been that great. So who knows? Maybe he's just not that good. He's maybe Steve Letard. Yeah. But, you know, whatever. Steve Letard is is a legend in his own mind, but that's all I think. Well, and and I guess that's that's an interesting point because I think the '88 is a car that's most vulnerable. I think as if you want to look at it that way, um, but certainly going to be interesting to see what happens with Larson and Christopher Bell down the road. Those are two drivers who are oh, great, and Bell's in, in another situation where you know it's sort of a logjam for him. Uh, anything else you want to talk about, Quentin, before we move on tonight? I think we lost him. Uh, but yeah, interesting. You know, we got, and I think Quentin for the call. Um, but yeah, a very interesting um, conversation to have for sure about Larson's future and what goes on there with the uh, with, with the 42 car and um, with his future and, and Christopher Bell's future. You know, we can dive into that all night if you want. Uh, but we oh, have to move no. on. You know, it's it, it's uh, it's certainly going to be an interesting conversation when that topic comes up with Bell because it's just like. You know, where does he go? <laughs> you know, and uh, I, I think with Bell, and not to get too far off topic, because I do want to do, I want do want to talk about the Xfinity race quick, and then get to the uh, to the new format for the All Star race. Um, there are options maybe to move another team to the Toyota, so keep that in mind here, and that's certainly maybe something we'll do- jump on next week, um, where we don't have a race to review. And we could talk about and, – and we're going to – you know next week, if you're interested in this kind of thing, we're going to give our, like, I guess, grades or report cards out for each team so far through the 2019 season. That will be a lot of fun. So uh, stick, stick on Talking Circles here on Wednesday and listen to that. Uh, 917-889-8280. It's Toyota Care 250, uh, Richmond Raceway, NASCAR Xfinity Series race. Cole Custer was your winner. Austin Sindrick second. Justin Allgaier was third. Tyler Reddick fourth. Ryan Sieg, a top five finish for him. A great run. Zane Smith was sixth in a junior motorsports Chevrolet. John Hunter Nimitz checked seventh, and it was Chase Briscoe, Riley Herbs, and Justin Haley, the second race of the Dash for Cash with no cup drivers in it. You get that interesting top ten with a lot of uh, drivers in there. Um, what were your thoughts on the Xfinity Series race, Philip? Quick. Um, 
you know, a, a nice win by, by Custer. He seems to really turn the corner here. You mentioned Mike Shiplett. Mike Shiplett's there at that double zero car. Uh, and that seems that team's really seemed to, to take off. You know, Custer has been a, a good driver in the past, but now it seems like he's taking it to the next level and really is starting to put some wins together. And that's good for his career for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's definitely something that, you know, the loss of the 40 for the 42 and of that 42 team. And, uh, you know, you think about uh, Ross Chastain and all that and Ganassi, all those things that, worked the way it worked out the biggest beneficiary of that has been Cole Custer Stuart Haas racing honestly uh he it was basically the three of the four big the we talked about the big four in last week's show um three of them finished in the top four in Custer Allgaier and Tyler Reddick uh Chris Bell had issues finished 16th but he led 32 laps virtually all the laps were led by Cole Custer, Justin Allgaier, and Christopher Bell. So what we saw is more of what I think we're going to see later on this year when it counts. Um, But Cole Custer now winning a second race, two different types of racetracks. This track, of course, playoff. Uh, it's, It's a sign of things to come because they're still learning each other and they're still learning what they need. And so for Cole Custer to be doing this and taking this next step in his career is a big deal for him. And I, I mean, all guys right on the cusp. Uh, they, they have this break. They're going to go to Talladega junior motorsports, of course, makes good race cars for Talladega. So, I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if all goes out there and wins, but I wouldn't be shocked even just pulled, start pulling a bunch of wins off here in the next few months. Uh, because that that team is just, you know, you can't really sleep on them. There's no way you're going to get rid of Justin Allgaier. Uh, he's always been that way his whole career. And then, you know, I mean, some of these other guys, I give credit to Ryan C. getting a fifth-place finish in that 39 car, increasing his points uh, gap uh, there into the top ten in points. You know, and then some of the other guys that are kind of, you know, the regulars, the ones you you'd figure would be there. Uh, Riley Herbst getting to drive the 18 car, and he didn't wreck, so that's a bonus for him. Um, and he led a lap, the first lap of the race, so whatever, and that's fine. Uh, so it's, I mean, it's more, it's basically everybody that you would expect to be in the top 10 for the exception of Chris Bell in terms of the regulars. Um, a couple guys give Zane Smith credit, um, making the most of his limited uh, opportunities, driving that eight car, getting a sixth-place finish there. Yeah, not bad run for him at all. And, and certainly Ryan Sieg is a guy you look at in fifth. Tremendous run. He's had a great year so far uh, in that 39 car. It's just been an unbelievable season for him, and he deserves a lot of credit. No doubt about that. And, and you know, it looks like he's going to make the playoffs easily right now if things keep going the way they're going. I mean – um, Chastain's right now about 30, uh, 32 points back from Brandon Jones in 12th. Um, so he's got some gain and do he's running the, uh, 10 car this weekend at Talladega. So maybe he can gain some points there. Um, if he doesn't wreck, you know, Talladega is such an uh, unpredictable event. So maybe, you know, um, Chastain can gain something there. Finished 11th. Wasn't a terrible day for him at Richmond. Um, maybe a step in the right direction for them, but he's going to do better and, and really, 
pull off, gain some points here in the next couple of weeks if he wants to have a shot at the playoffs, I think, um, here yeah. in 2019. Uh, okay, so tonight the uh, NASCAR All-Star Race format was announced. The open race is going to yeah. be a 22 – it's going to be three segments in the open, the Monster Energy Open. I call it the Winston Open. The Winston Open yeah. uh, is going to be a 20, 20, and 10, three-lap segments there. And then the the Winston, the all-star race, is going to be a 30, 20, 20, 15, four stages. So all three of those for $1 million. Um, and, and here's the field. So basically every single winner from 2018 to 2019 so far is locked into the event. Also, all the all, of the of the guys who haven't qualified yet, all the all-star, previous all-star winners and Monster Energy Cup Series champions are in the field. Also, um, Monster Energy open stage winners. So we're going to take three from the open stage, from the stages. And then uh, the NASCAR fan vote winner, you get one driver, obviously, through the fan vote. So um seems like a lot of drivers this year. You know, I, I don't have the exact number right now. If we if it ended today, who would be in the, in the race, who would not be in the race. But, um, you know, just real quick, I mean, it it's the real interesting part is what they're going to what they're going to do. Uh, with the race car, but what do you think about this format here, Philip? Um, you know, we've kind of seen this format the last couple of years. Do you like the all-star race format? What are your thoughts? I don't, I mean, there, for me, they, there's too many laps uh, in the main race. I mean, it's fine that they want to do the three stages or whatever in the, in the open and the Winston open, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they, they, but I, I think you don't need to have this many laps. I think part of the reason, if you want to, or, or better yet, you know, come up with some sort of like number that makes sense. Like you had 70 laps for years, um, for a few years you had until yeah, 2002, that's 70 laps for years. And I think it was like 30, 30 and 10 or something like that. Um, or I would say 40, 20, and 10, you know, have a long first run with a mandatory pit stop. And I mean, it's whatever. They change the rules every single year. It's like you, it's, you change underwear. It's like they go and flip a coin. They go and go and do the tilt of world. And they say, Hey, let's go and come up with some other circus sideshow format, you know, like, and, and now it's also become the R and D race because they don't test because they think it's going to save people money, but instead it's just a, it's a, it's a testing ground for whatever goofy um, rules changes they want to do. So now they've added a couple things there with that. And the, the point is the one thing I liked about the Winston, the all-star race, whatever you want to call it, was that 10 lap final segment. There was just something Heck about yeah. that. And, yeah. you know, you had to go and put it all on the line. Now you had to mess with that. Like, Yep. Don't mess with the first three segments. I don't, I don't care. Make them, make them 20, 30, 50. I don't care how many freaking laps. Go and have, go I, and do a set of Talladega in 2012 and go and invert half the field and <laughs> have them go one way and go and do the other way. I don't care. Just leave something alone. Leave it alone. You are Just preaching with the choir. Laps. You are preaching it's, to the choir, like, Philip. Yeah, I, I can't, so I can't agree I more. Even the even the open, I, I don't under, I didn't understand why you had to change the open to three stages, and I can live with that. But you know, I liked it when it was twenty and twenty or forty lap race 
and you took the top two. I thought it was interesting. It was simple. People figured it out. You know, I kind of like that, and, and it changed that. Um, I do think there's way too many laps in, in, the, in the all-star race. Uh, I guess you can't really make it 50 laps, but to me, uh, you know, if you did 20, 20, and 10, I think it would be awesome. You get out of there, everybody's happy, you win a million bucks, it's all over. Um, you know, I, I personally liked back in the day, and I think they did this for one or two years, and I'm, I, I, have a, I, I have a theory on why they stopped doing this, but I personally liked it was better than, you know, the average finishes we all did when they took the teams and had an elimination where, you know, after one stage, if you were 18th on back, you were eliminated from, from the whole race. And then if you were 15th on back, you were eliminated. And then the top, so the top 10 teams from that night ran a 10 lap segment in the final event. I thought it was tremendous. I think the reason why they don't do that is because the teams that are in the all-star race, I think they want to get their sponsorship more exposure. So they don't want to do that because they don't want to run only for 30 laps and then call it a day. Um, but I don't know. You know, I, I, I think that was awesome when they did that because it made teams want to run hard. You ran your guts out every, every time you went up there. Um, you know, personally, I think, you know, it's not my money, so I can't, I can't speak to it, but I will say this, that $1 million is not what it used to be for these teams for sure. So that's another, that's another thing quick. And we lost Quentin, Quentin before. Uh, I know he wants to get back on here, so we'll, we'll bring him back on here quick. Uh, Quentin, what do you want to discuss tonight? Right. And yet I do like the idea of the uh, final segment being uh, 20 laps because it kind of puts the cars on that teetering edge of who's set up for short runs and long runs, and it'll make it a little more interesting. But uh, what's really on my mind is the, uh, the lashback of uh, Nashville Fairground Speedway and the improvements in the neighborhood not wanting to uh, not wanting to have big events there, and um, mm-hmm. I, I do have my own opinion of that. If you're going to move next to the fairgrounds that has a racetrack, <laughs> um, I mean the same thing happened here in Minnesota. We could only have the uh, ASA series here during uh, uh, state fair time for the 10 day run, and um, we weren't this. Tr- beautiful half mile with 18,000 seats would sit dormant all but during fair time. Right. And, um, but this is Nashville. This isn't Twin Cities, Minnesota. I mean, come right. on. You got to expect there's going to be um, there's but, gonna yeah. be major racing events. And when you look at the guys that cut their teeth there and then moved up oh, all the way up to the Winston Cup Series, you know, and um, then Bush Series, Xfinity Slash. Um, Bobby Hamilton. Oh, God. Look at where Casey Atwood came up from. Yep, yep. It was his It's a great racetrack. Listen, I'm, I'm all for – I'm you're preaching to the choir about the about the noise issue. I mean, I'm sorry. There's other aspects, and I got into a discussion with a buddy off, offline about this, and, and I think it got a little bit heated on both sides. But there's other, there's other options. There's other things about this, you know – Apparently, uh, it's going to cost more money than people originally thought it's going to cost to, to sort of revamp the racetrack and get it to NASCAR standards. But I will say this. I'm sorry. That racetrack's been there since 1904. Now, I know they didn't run cars there in 1904, but that racetrack's been there since 1904, and you're complaining about the noise. It's, first of all, it's one weekend if you're talking about NASCAR going there. It's going to be probably one, maybe two at the most weekends. You've you got to give me a better excuse than the noise. I'm sorry. That's absolutely absurd. 
absolutely absurd to say that the noise is the reason why you don't want, to, you want a, a cup race in Nashville. Now, if you want to throw in the money aspect in it, you want to throw all this, uh, fine. I'll listen to that. The noise, I'm sorry. I can't, I, I don't know what it is. And, and it gets, I guess it gets me irate because I hear this uh, from a lot of people. You know, there was a uh, discussion about this a couple of months ago, maybe a year ago. I can't remember what it was about, but somebody discussed that. You know, we should quiet the race cars down. That's a big reason why fans are – I mean, you got to be kidding me that, that if that's a big reason why fans aren't, aren't coming to these racetracks. I mean, I, I, I love racing. Everybody on this format that we talk to loves racing, and I don't think there's one person who loves racing who can sit there and say the cars are too noisy. We gotta, I mean, come, first of all, that's, I think, part of the, the draw for people to go, oh, I love how loud they are. It's so cool. Yeah, you can't have a conversation during a race. whoop de doo this isn't baseball. This isn't soccer. This isn't football. This isn't basketball. It's auto racing. It's different. It, it's going to be loud. You don't like it? Oh, well. I'm, I'm just the noise aspect. Don't buy a it, house it, next to the track. You're getting your good mortgage because you're next to a track. Uh, <laughs> exactly. That's unbelievable, it's unbelievable to me. It's unbelievable. The noise aspect is unbelievable to me. And I want listen. And I guess part of the reason why I'm so passionate is, and, and I'm I'm not sure where Philip is in a rebel. Well, I live in New Jersey. I know Philip does too. But Flemington was a track that um, yeah. they had to go from dirt to asphalt because people who moved to Flemington were mad that they're that that they're putting dirt in the air, and it was and and that destroyed that racetrack. When they went to asphalt, it was never the same, and. It destroyed that track, and now it's sitting there at the lows. So, you know, I guess that's where the passion comes from, where you look at it and you say, at the end of the day, you it's a racetrack. It's going to be loud. Again, there's other factors. I think it's ridiculous in every sport, and, I, and I, I'm going to go on a little tangent, whether it's the NFL, whether it's hockey, whether it's baseball, I think it's ridiculous that taxpayers pay for stadiums when you've got multi-billion dollar owners sitting in their boxes and don't pay for them. I think that's absolutely absurd. I think it's crazy we do that in, in sports nowadays, but um, the noise aspect, you're going to have to do a little bit better for me than that. I think that's absolutely absurd. It's not like we're racing on Sunday morning during church. Mm-hmm. You know, it's we're for not two, disturbing it's for four hours. the peace. It's for four hours. I think you can live with a little bit of noise. I'm sorry. You know, and again, it's one weekend out of the year. It's not like they're going to say we're going to bring a NASCAR track. We're going to bring NASCAR. We're going to run 36 NASCAR races there every week. Then I sit there and go, okay, I understand. It's one week out of the year, maybe two, if, if it's really successful. I mean, I, I just, the, the noise aspect to me, again, you want to talk about other factors, I will, I will talk about other factors, but the noise aspect is insane to me. I, I cannot believe that that was, a, that was an excuse today. I'm sorry. I just can't believe it. Anything else, Quentin, you I want to hear, discuss? Uh, no, but I, I did want to mention, um, what regular times or where can we find the updates for your show when it's going to be on and whatnot? I know that uh, every once in a while you throw one out there that uh, I didn't know that was up and coming. I do listen to you on a regular basis as I'm sitting cool. here writing my shows and um, and all that and when so, I do mine on uh, Monday and Thursdays. So uh, the, if there's any factors, we usually try and do it uh, Sunday nights at, at 9, we have a view to race, and then 8.30 on Wednesdays. Uh, this weekend we had a little bit of, of, of different factors. I was away on Sunday, and I know Philip was too as well. So we decided to, to go with, um, with Wednesday 
for our show, and then next week we're going to skip, obviously, because it's Easter Sunday. There's no racing this weekend, so there's nothing really to break down. We'll be back here again on Wednesday uh, on at 8.30 talking about – we're going to give our team report cards, uh, maybe preview Talladega a little bit. Talladega is such a crapshoot. There's not really much to discuss there, uh, but I guess it's going to be interesting because uh, it's a new rule package and all that kind of stuff. So I guess what I'm getting point at is eight. the majority for this season right now, um, we've changed our times up this year. We used to be 10 o'clock. We moved it up a little bit because I know 10 o'clock was rough on a lot of people, including myself. Um, so 8.30 on Wednesdays and 9 o'clock on Sundays. Uh, I, I appreciate you, Quentin, and, and please call Eastern in again. Eastern time, uh, obviously, in, right? Eastern time. What about you? What about your show, quick, if you want to give uh, – I am what, Central what, Standard. What I am, yeah, I'm on blogtalkradio.com slash front slash Speedway Anywhere, one word. Also, you can find me on uh, on Facebook.com slash Speedway Anywhere. That's the homepage for the show. Also, we do kind of a two-wide side-by-side um, while it's on Blog Talk. I also do the uh, Facebook Live deal um, so you can see my stupid self in the studio. <laughs> it's kind of fun. That's cool. That's awesome. Yeah, we'll, we'll try and uh... – Certainly, give that a call, give that a, a look in, in here, and, and and try and find you for sure on uh, Facebook and all that kind of stuff. So I appreciate you calling in, Quentin, and uh, calling again, calling again soon. And your last name, if I was to find you on Facebook, or do you have my a Facebook page for the show? Yes, or? My, my name's Clayton Caldwell. Our, our Facebook page is Talking in Circles on Facebook. You can find us on Twitter, Talking in Circles, uh, just because there wasn't enough characters. And uh, I know Philip Matthew. Gotcha. It's Philip Matthew. So if you want to look him up as well, he's. Uh, I'm not sure what your what's your Twitter handle there, Philip. Uh, Philip G Matthew, uh, one there, I there or one L one uh, T and yeah, so one I or one L one T. Yeah. So right, it's, be, it's nice it, to meet you, Philip. I appreciate that, man. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling, Quentin. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, and and again, <laughs> Philip. What are your thoughts? I mean, um, you know, I know I'm not sure. Again, I guess why I was so passionate about that, and that's one of the things I get irate about is the noise of those race cars. Um, uh, Flemington was a track that I never got the experience, got to experience, but you know, I did a, a capstone project on Flemington, so uh, I talked to a lot of different people about why the track was torn down, why the track, you know, why people stopped showing up to the track, and all that kind of stuff. So I got I got real passionate there, but um, real quick, you know. Um, what are your thoughts on, on that whole situation there in Nashville? Yeah, I mean, it's – I don't really have a very high regard in terms of for either SMI or ISC. SMI is involved with this. Uh, they, I think the main part of that fairgrounds deal is they're trying to bring an MLS team out there uh, and they're trying to build a stadium. So I think there's going to be taxpayer dollars involved in that. Uh, in terms of bringing a team and having that team being basically right outside where the track would be. And then there would have to be more money involved in terms of trying to theoretically make it NASCAR ready and like, which is BS. I mean, it's nonsense for saying you need to put safer barriers everywhere. Um, and so that's one thing. Uh, the, the, the whole point is being from being in central Jersey and losing English town, losing, uh, Raceway Park uh, was really bad. Um, 
and it's been bad for the NHRA because they're never really going to be able to replace that racetrack. It was one of the great racetracks they went to. They'd always have a race in late May, early June. They'd set track records. They'd draw great crowds. And, you know, these morons move in and they say, oh, I don't like the noise. They don't like Wednesday night drags, you know, and, and they complained and they complained and complained. They finally just killed it and they killed English now. And it's one of the greatest drag strips there's ever been. Of course, there's been some serious, serious incidents there as Scott well. Coletta. Yeah. Scott Coletta and, you know, like Johnny West, there's been other things, but the reality is it's a legendary racetrack and, you know, people moved in and got good, you know, sweetheart deals to get in there, cried wolf and, you know, spineless politicians caved in. Um, and it's the same way as it's with Flemington, it's happened with Nazareth, it happened with all these great racetracks get closed down. And then in the end, people complain, we don't have enough this, or we don't have enough that. It's like you didn't bother to show up and go to the racetrack or you didn't care when it was there. So why do you care now that it isn't there? Um, but then it also just shows how bad things are. And it's a sad commentary on society that we have right now because racing was a part of the fabric of a lot of people and a lot of things for many years. And um, people are just soft. I guess that's really what it is. Yeah. I don't know what it is. You know, it's just to me, again, there's a money, there's a whole lot of stuff when you talk about moving a race to a, 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 a new racetrack or moving to a new racetrack. There's a whole lot of factors to take in. And I'll listen to the money aspect. Anything you want to talk about, I will listen. But to me, the noise factor, I mean, that that's just that to me is insane. It's just insane. Yeah. I don't know what else to say. But um Philip, I want to thank you so much for, for help for doing a great job tonight. And uh you know, we'll be back here um next week on Talking Circles. Again, um Talking Circles, you can hear our show. We're gonna take the week off on Sunday. Obviously, Sunday night we're not gonna be able we're not gonna do a show. Um and I'll give you a little bit of schedule here, what we're planning on doing here for the next uh, week or so. Uh, it's going to be uh 8.30 show next Wednesday. We'll we'll break down each team, each organization. Not really sure how we're going to do that. We'll talk, I'll talk to, uh, off air and get a, an idea, really a better idea of what's going to happen um, as far as, as what goes on with the show and, and, and how we're going to break it down. So we'll do that on, on Wednesday, 8.30. Also preview Talladega a little bit. Um, then we'll have the Rocky Ryan Hour scheduled to come back again before Talladega, which is going to be interesting because we're going to have we're going to already watch what the Xfinity Series race did. We'll have some practices for the Cup Series, um, so we'll we'll discuss that as well. Talk about what we expect to see there, and then of course that's on nine o'clock a.m. on the Sunday on before Talladega Super Speedway, and then we'll break down the race at Talladega Super Speedway on Sunday night here on Talking Circles. I want to thank everybody for listening. We'll see you next time. Good night.